Luke chapter 1, expect the unexpected. Last week we were in Luke 1 and we, we saw that God takes the impossible and he makes it possible. This week we're going to see that uh, the Christmas season, the Christmas story, to expect the unexpected means that he can take those things that are uncertain and make them certain. Please stand with me in the honor of reading God's word. Luke chapter 1, we'll begin reading in verse number 5. The word of God says this, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and, he, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. The angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, verse 14. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Verse 18 says, And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. Men never say that. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this gospel good news. Father God, I thank you for this word. Now, God, as we open this word and we allow your word to speak to us, Father, I, I thank you that I, when I look at Scripture, I don't see a bunch of perfect people getting it right, but I see a bunch of people like myself who mess up and say foolish things all the time. And, Lord, how you teach them and you use men and women like that for your kingdom and glory. And so, Father, I pray that as we begin to share from your word in our uncertain days and how we can be certain of your truth, Father, speak to us. We ask this in Jesus' name and all of God's people said. Please be seated. The Bible says that Zechariah was in fear. He was in fear. He saw the angel appear and he was in fear. We saw last week, we, we read the verses that, that come after this. and We saw Mary and Mary uh, was afraid. And one of the reasons why I believe that we have such a difficulty with fear today is because the devil is so effective in leading, to, leading us to buy into his lies at the expense of God's truth. Satan is a liar. Satan is a deceiver. And I, I, when I read and I see here that Zechariah, a priest of God, a man of God, was afraid, 
That tells me that he was no longer walking by faith, but he was walking by fear. When you walk by faith, that means you're walking with God. When you walk by fear, that means you've turned your back on God and you're listening to the voice of Satan. Satan was lying to this man. He was, he was causing this man to doubt. Doubt opposes faith. Doubt opposes faith. Doubt and faith are on the opposite ends of the spectrum. So here we see, moving from uncertainty to certainty, we, we want to see how Zechariah, this man of God who, who had a, a great dream, he, he dreamed a great dream, and, and how he had all of this hope, but yet all of his hopes seemed to be dashed. But through this Christmas story, God said, expect the unexpected. And he moved this family from uncertainty to certainty. And I don't know about you, but that's what I want. In these uncertain days, I want to be certain of some things. In these days that we don't have a lot to hold on to that's true and faithful and right and good, I want to hold on to those things that I know are unmovable and unshakable. I want to hold on to those things that are certain. There's two things that I believe that we can see from this passage, and we'll go on into the Mary story as well for point number two. But point number one tells us this, that to move from uncertainty to certainty, God is able to address our sorrows. God is able to address our sorrow. And in light of that, we know that Satan comes behind this and he, he begins to lie to us. And he says, Satan's lie to this point is this, you're feeling the fear of lost hope and God is not able to do anything about it. We see from the story that what God expects is that that God is able to address our sorrow. That God can take our sorrow and turn it around for his good. But what Satan says to us, what Satan's lie says to us, is that what, what instead of expecting God to move in our sorrow, what Satan's lie to us is, is that we're feeling the fear of lost and hope, and God's not able to do anything about it. Zechariah and, and Elizabeth were people living with hope, and that hope was dwindling. In fact, a lot of ways, in some of the things they were hoping for, their hope was dead. They had a dead hope as well. The word of the angel and the response of Zacharias came. Zechariah is a, a priest. It, it, he was troubled. And the words of the Scripture give us some insight into what was going on in this man. The recorded experience of of him meeting an angel and the instruction that was given. First of all, we understand, as we said last week, there are meaning in names. The name tells us something. It tells us something about Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth. Zechariah, the name Zechariah in the Hebrew means the Lord remembers. For example, the Lord remembers his covenant. So whenever Zechariah would use his name, he was literally saying the Lord remembers his covenant. The Lord remembers his promise. And whenever he would look at his wife Elizabeth and he would call her by name, the the name Elizabeth means my God is an oath. In other words, God is faithful. God is faithful. So here is the man, Zechariah, who says that, that, that the Lord remembers his promises. And here's his wife, Elizabeth, whose name means that God is faithful. So the two names of these Jewish, these Israelite, this Israelite family says that God remembers his covenant and he's faithful to fulfill it. Yet there were some great sorrows they faced. 
It hung over their hearts. And these two faithful people, these two faithful people who were called to be a part of the service of God, this man was set apart. He was a priest. He was a preacher. Here's a man who's supposed to be so full of faith and so full of hope. But here's a man who we actually see, a man who's dwindling in hope, a man who who is hanging on only by a thread. There were great sorrows that hung over their hearts, first of all. A great sorrow hung over their heart because of their land, Judea. You see, they had hoped for a day of glory, a day of, of freedom, a day from not having uh, the, 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 uh, being under the bondage of Rome. They lived for a day that was far from that. Herod the Great, they called him Herod the Great, but he wasn't so great. You know why they called him Herod the Great? Because he built great things, not because he was a good man. Herod the Great built great architectural buildings. He built great Colosseums. He built great aqueducts. Did you know this is, this is true? You can go to Israel, and we're going to go to Israel in March, and we're going to see this. They actually had running water in people's homes during the time of Herod the Great. He was a great engineer, a great architect, a, a great thinker. He wasn't called Herod the Great because he was a good person. No, Herod the Great was not a good person, was he? We know the story. Herod the Great, he, he was not even Jewish. He was Idumean by descent. But yet he professed the Jewish religion. He, he did construct the temple. He built the temple, and on Temple Mount, uh, the temple became larger than it had ever been before. But he also built temples to other gods. His reign was stained in blood. Remember what Herod the Great did when he found out that a king was born in Bethlehem? When the wise men came, the Magi came, and they said, a king has been born in Bethlehem. What did Herod the Great do? He, he sent word and he said, every boy that's two years old and younger in Bethlehem and its vicinity is to be put to death. Herod the Great. During his latter years, he put to death most of his family because he, he perceived that, that they wanted to ascend to his throne. So when we open this and we see in verse number five, this says, in the days of Herod, this, understand, these are days of sorrow. When you read in the days of Herod, these are not glorious days. These are days of great sorrow, days of great destruction, days of great bloodshed. So Zechariah and Elizabeth, they're living in disappointment. They're, they're living in the disappointment of the day. Their hope, yes, they had hope, but their hope was mixed with disappointment. Israel had longed for their Messiah to come. And this brings in another disappointment, another mar against their hope. You see, there was a sorrow because the Messiah had yet to come. The Bible says over in Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi is the final prophet of the Old Testament. He prophesies of the coming Christ child, the coming Messiah. And Malachi talks about the one who is to come. Now, for us, it's easy to flip from Malachi to Matthew. It just takes one page to flip over. But when we put ourselves in the shoes of the people who were actually living during this time, it was actually 400 years from when Malachi prophesied to when we see Matthew beginning. 400 years of silence. Silence is awkward, isn't it? 
Silence causes us to say, I've got to do something. I wish the preacher would stop making those long pauses because silence is awkward. But the Jews were living in this time of silence for 400 years. Understand that up through this point, God had been talking, 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 day after day, year after year. From the very beginning in the book of Genesis, when God created the heavens and the earth, and he spoke all those things into existence. And then he spoke to Abraham. He spoke to Moses. He, he spoke to Noah. He spoke to David. He spoke to the kings. He spoke to the judges. He spoke and he spoke and he spoke and then he stopped. And for 400 years, God was silent. What would that do to your faith if God was silent? Here, Zechariah and Elizabeth, they've been hoping and hoping and hoping and hoping, Messiah come, Messiah come, Messiah come. But God has not done anything for four centuries. Third, their sorrow was filled with unfulfilled hope. Their hope was dead in some things. Their hope had died a long time ago that they would have a child they could call their own. The Bible is very clear that Zechariah and Elizabeth were both too old to have a child. They were both too old. They were past the childbearing years. So Zechariah had no doubt and Elizabeth had no doubt in their earlier years prayed, God, give us a child. Probably even brought sacrifices. God, give us a child. God, bless us with a child. God, do this. But those prayers had long ceased. He, he had stopped praying. He had stopped praying for those hopes. So what we see from Zechariah and Elizabeth were, were they, they were living in a disappointed hope. They were living in a dwindling hope. And they were also living in a dead hope. Yet in that whole lifespan, as, as their heart was being pulled in so many directions, they remained faithful to God. They refused to be controlled by the circumstances and disappointments of their life. They, they served the Lord their God. Now, Zechariah was a priest, a man of God. In his lifetime, during the time of Luke chapter 1, there were many priests that, that served the temple. There were many who rotated in the, in the temple order. It was time for Zechariah to serve. It was his order, the, the order of Abijah, who, who it was ready for that group, that section, that, that cohort of, of priests to come online. It's their time to serve. And there were so many priests serving at this time that when it came time for you to step in for your service, you would only be able to step into the holy place of the temple one time in your life because there were so many priests to do the job. So they would actually cast lots. So they, they came down, they narrowed it down to the, the, the group of Abijah. That, that was the order that he was from, the church he was from, I guess you could say, the, the, the order, the lineage. And so it was Abijah, the court of Abijah's turn. And so they began to cast lots of all the priests of, of Abijah who was going to offer the incense and burn the incense this day for the offering. They cast lots. The lots fell to this old man named Zechariah. First time, the only time in his life he would be able to do this. Because again, there were so many priests. There were so many priests in the land during this time. They, 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 uh, they had to take turns. 
So it was his turn to go in and burn the incense. Now in the temple, remember, there are two sections once you get into the temple. There's the holy place, and then there's the holy of holies. The holy of holies, that's where the Ark of the Covenant rested. That's the mercy seat of God, where only one day a year, the high priest, not just any priest, but the high priest would walk in to the Holy of Holies beyond the veil. Remember the veil that was torn in two from top to bottom when Jesus was crucified? That veil that separated the holy place from the Holy of Holies, the high priest would walk in there one day a year, the day of atonement, Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, the Jewish uh, holy day. And he would go in and he would pour the blood of a sacrificed uh, lamb on top of the, the, the Ark of the Covenant. And there he would uh, pray for the sins, forgiveness of sins of the whole nation of Israel. That was once a year. But understand that two times every single day, a priest would walk into the holy place. Not the holy of holies, but he would walk into the holy place. The holy place, the, the place where the table of showbread was, the altar of incense, the, 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 the staff that Aaron carried, the staff that budded was, was in this holy place. And now it's Zachariah's turn. Zechariah walks into the holy place to, to make offering. He entered into this holy place, and the offering was to burn the incense. The burning of the incense was symbolic for the Jews. When they would see the smoke come out of the holy place, the, 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 the burning of the incense was symbolic of the prayers of God's people rising up into the heavens, into the nostrils of God. And so when they would begin to see the incense rising, it would happen twice a day in the morning and then three in the afternoon. The hustle and bustle of what was going on at Temple Mount, people were exchanging, people were selling things. There was a lot of stuff, a lot of activity. But when they saw that smoke rising, everybody hushed, everybody paused, and everybody got on their face and began to pray because that smoke was symbolic. Well, Zechariah, he went in, and, and we don't know which time this was, but he went in and, and he offered the sacrifice, the, the altar, the, the, the burning of the incense. And as the incense was going, he could hear outside the temple where everybody was talking and clamoring. When they saw the smoke go up, everybody hushed. Silence fell. People began to pray. During those moments of dead silence, an angel of the Lord appeared to Zechariah. He was afraid. We know he was afraid because of his response. When he returned back, when the angel began to talk, he said a couple of very foolish things. It appears that his hopes were dashed. Here was a man who, who was seeking hope and, and wanting fulfilled hope and trying the best he could to trust God. But, but everything that he had been hoping for was, was he was either having disappointments or he was disillusioned or even a, a, a dead hope. And so based upon what Zechariah said, we know that he was concerned about what the angel had said. He was fearful the Savior wouldn't come. He had been praying for a very, very long time. Zechariah was fearful. I can't help but to wonder if, if Satan wasn't whispering in Zechariah's ear, you see, God isn't going to answer your prayer. God is not going to fulfill your promise. Look at how long you've prayed. Look at how long you've gone. You're past the childbearing years. There's no way these things are possible. God isn't able Satan still whispers that same thing in our ears today, doesn't he? He says, God is impotent. 
God is not powerful enough to speak into your life and to fulfill what God has said he was going to do. Satan tells us that we're all alone. Satan whispers in our ear and he tempts us. He says, no one cares. No one loves you. That God will never answer your prayer. That, that we, and, and, and we have bought into this lie. And that we should never expect the unexpected. But dear friend, listen, the message of the Christmas story is that we should just do the opposite of that and that we should expect the unexpected. That we should believe God in the impossible. That in the uncertain times that God makes those certain, he is able and faithful to come through. Gabriel said, Zechariah, fear not because your prayer is heard and answered. He said, fear not. Not only has God heard your prayer, but God answered your prayer. We're never to give up. God is the Lord. God is sovereign. That means he's over this. He's in control. And God is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than we could ever ask or think or dream or imagine. Has God given you a dream? Has God placed something in your heart and it's a dream and you feel like you're up against the wall? You've received a promise from God or you're, 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 you're praying for something and that something has not happened. And year after year, year after year, decade after decade, and you're prayed and you're prayed and you're prayed and you're not seeing God move. You're in the same situation that Zechariah and Elizabeth were in. Maybe that dream for you is finding a mate. That dream that, that, that God would even save your spouse. That dream may be a new job. That, that dream may be healing from some disease. That dream may be inner peace. That dream may be freedom from the bondage that you find yourself in. And you look up today, this very day, and you're afraid that those dreams are being shattered, that that will never happen. You're afraid because you're losing hope. The Lord says, do not fear. I am able. I am faithful. And let me say that this is a message that we all need to hear. Zechariah, what was his profession? What was he? A priest. A man of God. A man of God. All right, just make sure you're awake. He went to church. He went to synagogue. He understood the scripture. When the angel said, <laughs> when the angel said, you're going to have a son and you're going to name him John and, and the Holy Spirit is going to fill him, there's a lot of new stuff that's going on right here. Zechariah we know because of how the, the angel responded, the tone in which Zechariah said this. He's like, there ain't no way. There ain't no way this is going to happen. I've been hoping and hoping and hoping. I've been going to church. I've been reading my scripture. I've been doing what I should be doing. There ain't no way. What did Gabriel said? Where was Gabriel. Gable, Gabriel answered and said, I am Gabriel. I've been standing in the presence of God. And I'm telling you what God has told me. 
There's a whole sermon in this little thought right here. But you can go to church. You can read your Bible. You can pray. You can do all of the religious things and not be in the presence of God. Gabriel said, buddy, listen. I've been in the presence of God. And God told me that he's going to do this. And you can believe it or you can reject it, but God, I've been in his presence. I've been, I've been communing with him. I've been worshiping him. I've been in his holy presence. And God has sent me to tell you that what you've been praying for is about to happen. In the presence of God. When God makes a promise, he never forgets it. When God makes a promise, he never forgets it. He never fails to fulfill it. Our God is able. He is all-powerful. He is omnipotent. He is not impotent. He's omnipotent. Never give in to the fear that God is not able, that God cannot come through. Never use God and cannot in the same sentence, because God can. Whatever situation you find yourself in, God can. God can. When the x-ray comes back and it's not what you expected, it doesn't look good, remember that God is still faithful. When you lose your job because you stood up for what you thought was right and you're now looking for a job and you don't have a job and you've got bills coming due, remember God is faithful. When you have a heartbreaking note from your spouse who says, I don't love you anymore, Children, when uh, youth, when, when your mom and your dad, they, they break apart and they say, we don't love each other. Remember, God is still faithful. When you hear the worst, parents, and you hear that your child has departed from his faith or her faith, you say, I don't believe that stuff anymore. Remember, God is faithful. He's not abandoned you. You may feel that he has. But we cannot base reality upon feelings. We base reality upon faith. And you may feel one way, you may feel another way, but we understand from God's word that we cannot base tomorrow's step or today's situations based upon feelings. Now, feelings are very real. Feelings are very real. Feelings of sadness, feelings of loneliness, those feelings are very real. And God created us with the capacity to have those feelings. But we can use those feelings to honor God or we can use those feelings to dishonor God. And when we have our feelings, we want to walk by faith, not by sight. Fear not, God is able. And that's what we learn from Zechariah, that God is able to address our sorrow. Now let's turn and let's look at the lady we looked at last week. Her name is Mary. Point number two is this, to move from uncertainty to certainty. Not only do we see that God is able to address our sorrow, but we must also see that God assures our security. God assures our security. And when we say that, we must understand that Satan is going to send a lie to us. And Satan's lie is that you're feeling out of control and insecure about your circumstances. And God is indifferent toward you. God doesn't care. God may be able, but God doesn't care. Let's see what he says about that. Verse 26, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel 
was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what uh, sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid. She was afraid. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have been found, you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of the father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Anytime we feel that we're lost and completely unable to uh, to meet the challenges of life, fear will grip our lives. Whenever we feel out of control, that's when fear comes and sets in. And that's what Satan wants to do. Satan is the author of confusion. He wants to control your heart by fear. Let's look at the text and see who Mary was. Mary was a young girl from a very obscure village. She had been given to a man named Joseph. His, she was to be his wife. From the text, it appears that she was coping with stuff get the picture. Here is this young girl who doesn't have a lot of money. She's from a no-name place called Bethlehem. Nobody knows who she is. She's preparing for a wedding. Weddings in that day cost a lot of money. They, they lasted for days. And so she's planning for this wedding to, to marry her husband or her but soon-to-be husband, Joseph. So she's got a lot of stuff going on. She's got a lot of stuff going on in her head. She's, she's confused about some things. And the text uh, shows us that she's trying to understand how to cope with life. And she was told she was highly favored before God. The angel showed up in verse 28 and said, Mary, you are highly favored before God. But notice what her response to that phrase was in verse 29. She was troubled and afraid. When the angel showed up, he said, you are highly favored from God. That troubled her because she looked at her own life and she saw that there are some things in my life that aren't good. There are things in my life that are not right. I've been putting others, uh, I've been putting myself before I've been putting others. I'm, I'm sinning. And so she was troubled. She was afraid. No doubt she was startled by Gabriel and a likelihood she was a person who was already dealing with fear. Gabriel addressed her fear by reassuring her that her security was based upon God's grace. He assured her that she could trust God for security in this insecure world. Verse 30, he said, God has chosen you, Mary. Because of his grace, she she could be secure regardless of what went on around her. Because of the grace of God, not because of something she had done. Understand that. Not because of who she was. Mary was a nobody from a no-name place. Her merit and her, the favor of God was upon her, not because of what she had done, but because of who God was. God poured out his grace upon this young girl, and because God poured out his grace, she no longer had to live in fear. Our ability, don't miss this, our ability to live from fear is directly related to the security we have from God. Our ability to live separated from the fears of life is directly related to how we commune, how we, the security we have from Him. If you are secure in your relationship with God, you will have no fear. 
Where does fear come from? Fear comes from insecurity. So when you're secure in your relationship with God, you will face issues and situations and problems, not with fear, but with faith. But when you come and you approach and you're not secure in your relationship with God, you're insecure in your relationship with God. Insecurity breeds fear. But faith combats fear. Our security is not found in the circumstances, but in the Lord. Again, Gabriel came and he said, Mary, you're not coming on your own merit, but you're coming by the grace of God. That means, first of all, we have God's favor. We have God's favor. We haven't earned it, but we received it as a gift of his grace. I don't have to fear that I have to measure up to find favor in God's eyes. That's a reassuring feeling for me. When I'm living in uncertain times, when all hell is breaking loose in my life, I don't have to wonder if, if, if God is pouring out his wrath upon me and he's mad at me, he's ticked at me because of something I've done and now I've got to pull myself up by my bootstraps and I've got to do right in order to gain favor back with God. That's not how it works. We have God's favor. As a child of the king, he has poured his grace and his mercy upon us. Number two, we have God's forgiveness. Gabriel gave her the name. He said, you'll name this child Jesus, the Christ. As we saw last week, that means God saves Jesus. And in Hebrew, Yeshua. Yeshua, our God, Yahweh saves. God is salvation. We have forgiveness. We're secure in God because our sins are forgiven. Number three, we understand that we're in God's family. God would indwell Mary in a way, and he also said this to Zechariah. He said, the child that's going to be born to your wife, Elizabeth, John, you can go back and read this. He said that he's going to be filled with the Spirit of God. This is something new that's never happened before. You see, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was present. The Holy Spirit moved and worked, but he, he would come and he would indwell and he would fill and he would speak to individuals, but then he would leave. This is now different. God has brought a new covenant. God has brought a new testament. God is doing something new. And now no longer will the Holy Spirit come and rest and leave, but now the Holy Spirit's going to come and say, we are family. We're a part of the family of God and come and live and dwell there in that body. There's a common term that we're all familiar with. It's called the comfort zone. You ever heard of that? The comfort zone. It, it relates to that place where we find the most comfort in life. We all have a comfort zone. We all have a happy place. What's your happy place? What's your comfort zone? You got it? Are you thinking about it right now? Maybe it's laying on a beach. Maybe it's, I don't know, on the islands of Hawaii. I don't know. Where, where are you comfortable? Where maybe, maybe your comfort zone is eating a box of ding-dongs. I, I don't know. What is your comfort zone? What, what brings peace to your life? When we find our comfort zone, that, that's where we're happy. We have no fear. There's, there's, nothing, there's nothing wrong. These ding-dongs are calorie-free, and, and all is good. 
But when we're moved outside of that comfort zone, it causes us fear, doesn't it? If our comfort is found in the familiarity of this world, change, the unexpected, disruptions, all of these things move us outside of our comfort zone. But listen, listen to this. Don't miss this. God rarely brings blessings to his children when his children are in their comfort zones. When you're in the comfort zones of life, very rarely does God bring blessings upon those in their comfort zones. Think about it. Abraham blessed, or God blessed Abraham when Abraham was pulled outside of his comfort zone and was told to sacrifice Isaac. Was that easy for Abraham? No, he was outside of his comfort zone. Moses was pushed outside of his comfort zone when that bush told him he's going to have to go face Pharaoh, face to face. But because Moses exited out of his comfort zone, God blessed Moses when he was outside of his comfort zone. Joshua was pushed outside of his comfort zone when when God said, Joshua, I I want you to go against this, this fortified city, the strongest city named Jericho, and I want you to put your swords and your shields down, and I want you to walk around that city and blow your trumpets. (laughs) David, a man who was anointed to be king, he was a boy. And he was thrusted outside of his comfort zone and he was called to serve King Saul even though King Saul wanted to take David's life outside of his comfort zone. Can you imagine how awkward that was? Here is David, the boy king whose whose God's hand was upon, but yet he was serving this king who God had removed his hand from. That's an awkward moment. What about Mary? What about Mary? Moved outside of her comfort zone. She was outside of her comfort zone. She wasn't hitting where she wanted to be. She wasn't eating ding-dongs and sitting on the couch. She was in a place that she did not want to be. She was told, you're going to have a kid. You're not married. (laughs) Mary, you can imagine Mary telling her friends and her family, you know, she's nine months pregnant. She, her back's hurting her. She said, I promise I'm a virgin. <laughs> yeah, right, Mary. Yeah, right. But it was when she moved outside of her comfort zone, it's when she understood that people may make fun of her, People may mock her outside of that place where we feel comfortable in that realm where we're uncomfortable. It was in that realm of being uncomfortable that God brought a blessing upon her. From the experience of Mary and all of these others, we see that our comfort zone is not found in this world, but is found in the Lord. It's so often the case that God's mightiest miracles... His most bountiful blessings occur when we allow ourselves to be moved outside of our comfort zone. When we stop walking by sight and we begin to walk by faith. We don't need to fear in the security of the Lord. Don't believe in the lies of Satan that God is indifferent toward anything that's happening in your life. God is aware. God is active in our lives. We are secure and we must never fear. If we are going to live in victory, if we're going to move from uncertainty to certainty, if we're going to battle 
these, these lies of Satan, there's four things I want to glean from here and then we're done. Four action points to today's message. Number one, acknowledge the reality of fear. Acknowledge the reality of fear. To deny fear is to fall prey to it. We're all scared of something. We all have insecurities of life. Don't, don't say, oh, I, I don't fear anything. I don't have any insecurities. Because we all have fears. We all have insecurities. Acknowledge the reality of fear. Number two, accept God's goodness and grace as facts. Accept, accept it. Embrace it. That God is good, that God is gracious, that God wants to move. That, that, that even in these uncertain times, even in these moments of fear, when I don't know what tomorrow is going to bring, understand that I can accept that God is good and God is gracious. Number three, affirm that God is able and active. That God has not just wound up a clock and set it and said, okay, y'all deal with this. No, God, God is very active in our lives. Look back over your life and, you, and look and see how God has provided and God has moved and God has showed up time after time after time after time. Finally, act based on your faith in the Lord and love of God. Act on it. Don't just be a passerby, but, but be in action. Put your faith into action. Say, I, I don't understand. These are uncertain times. I've been praying. I've been praying. I've been praying. I've been trusting. I've been trusting. But I'm going to keep acting. I'm not going to give up. I'm going to keep trusting that God is going. I'm not going to buy into the lies of Satan. Remember, Satan wants to instill fear. God wants to instill faith. Fear and faith are opposite ends of the spectrum. If you're afraid, you're not living by faith. If you're living by faith, you cannot live by fear. 